Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church or how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, we are in the third chapter. Pastor Scott wrapped up Ephesians chapter two last week. And um, so I am beginning Ephesians chapter three this week. And then next week, Pastor Scott will go back into, uh, into Ephesians, wrap up Ephesians three. So I wanna share some things. What I wanna do is I wanna read the first 13 verses. Um, I wanna read the first 13 verses of Ephesians 3, give you a little bit of um, uh, enlightenment concerning this passage, a little commentary. And then I want to talk to us today on the subject of the mystery of grace, the mystery of grace. So first, uh, first I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at first, verse 1, Paul begins by saying, for this reason I, Paul... So when he says, for this reason, he's referencing what we talked about, uh, the information that we talked about from uh, chapters one and two of Ephesians. In chapters one and two, Paul has shared a lot of theology and deep truth regarding salvation, regarding the church and the availability of salvation to the Gentiles. So he goes on to say, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Let me just stop here because he said, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. It's interesting that he sees, that he sees himself as a prisoner of Christ, not a prisoner of the emperor Nero or the Roman government. What he's saying here is where I am is where God wants me to be. God hasn't forgotten me. God has a plan for me even as I sit in prison because ultimately God is in control. This is so contrary to what you and I talk, how you and I talk when trouble comes, right? I never talk about I'm stuck behind this wreck for, by Jesus. I'm like, why don't these stupid people just clear the road, Right? Whenever trouble comes our way, we start rebuking the devil immediately. We start blaming one another. We start blaming our spouse or our kids. Don't look at me like I'm the only one. Because your spouse has already told me about you. We start looking for somebody to blame because we have this Western concept of Christianity that says, if we love Jesus, we should have no trouble. And let me just tell you, that's not in scripture, right? We have this concept that God wants us happy. Listen, God hasn't called us to be happy. He's called us to be holy, right? And when we walk in in holiness, when we walk in obedience to God's word, then even when we go through trouble, there can still be joy, right? Because happiness typically is determined by what's going on around us. Joy is determined by what's going on inside of us, right? I'm happy when I'm playing golf this afternoon. I'm going to be happy if I score well. 
right? I'm playing with another pastor in town, so I got to watch him, Pastor Jeff from Crossroads, because he may cheat a little bit. So I got I to watch him out. I got to watch for him. But so here's the deal. Happiness has to do with what's going on around us. Joy has to do with what's going on inside of us. It's why Paul can go, I may not like where I am, but I believe that God loves me enough that I'm sitting right where he wants me to be because he has a plan for me and he has not forgotten me. Listen, when you go through trouble, God hasn't forgotten you. But can I just tell you, rarely do we grow out of comfort, right? Rarely does comfort bring growth. No, what brings growth? Trouble, stretching, um, pressure, right? Those are the ways we grow in our character. We grow in our dependency on God. We grow in our relationship with God and with one another. So he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf, or Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then if you'll notice there, um, there's a dash there for the sake of you Gentiles. And what happens is, Paul starts talking and then he gets completely sidetracked. You old people know what that's like, don't you? Us old people know what that's like, don't we? Hey, yesterday, me and my youngest daughter, Madeline, Madeline and I went to Judy's Inn to have a hamburger. And um, Tara and Gabby don't eat meat, so me and Madeline, we go to Judy's Inn by ourselves. So, because we're free in Jesus. So, so we're sitting at Judy Sin. I worked at Judy Sin when I was a senior in high school. And so Madeline looks at me and she goes, hey, dad, how long ago was it that you worked here? And I started doing the math. And when I said, well, I worked here 40 years ago, I'm like, oh, my Jesus, I worked here 40 years ago. And then I felt like some of you. Oh. But he gets, so he starts talking and then he literally gets sidetracked. You know how it is, you're telling a story. You're telling about a trip and then you start talking about the restaurant you went to and you get all sidetracked on the restaurant versus, you know, you know how it goes. Verse two, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul said, I'm, I'm assuming you know my story. I'm assuming you know that I once was lost and now I'm found, Right? I'm assuming you know that there was a moment where I was blind, but now I see. Verse three, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It's interesting because he's, what he's saying here is this. What, I'm about to, what we're talking about hasn't been revealed to other generations. I'm revealing it to you now. Listen, God may tell us where we're headed, but he doesn't give us all the details. You go to Genesis chapter 12 and you see God tell Abraham that he'd be the father of many nations. The father of many nations, he, his wife can't even have children. Right? And throughout scripture, you see God speak something, but not give all the details. Can I just tell you, 
When God speaks something, don't wait for him to tell you everything. Just begin to walk in obedience. Because part of the reward comes as a result of you trusting God. And can I just tell you? When God told Abraham he'd be the father of many nations, he didn't tell him all the trouble he would go through to get there. If God told us all the trouble we would get, go through, many of us would just back out, right? Like that's not my plan for my life, right? So part of this is simply us trusting God. Let me just remind you of this as well. Galatians, the book of Galatians, you remember that the writer, Paul says, At the right time, God sent his son, Jesus. All those generations for hundreds of years had been told about a coming Messiah, but they didn't see him. But then one generation did, and every generation has been impacted by him since. God has a timing. Don't give up on God just because you don't see what you're praying for today. Right? The old preachers used to say, God seldom early, but he's never late. Right? Listen, trust God. God hears your prayer. He knows right where you are. And in his time, his will will be accomplished. Scripture says, if we don't give up. Don't give up. Verse 6. So here is the mystery that Paul's talking about. Here's the mystery of grace that Paul is talking about. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, you know, in the Old Testament, in parts of the beginning of the New Testament, only the Jews could really know God, right? Only the Jews were partakers of what God had to offer. But in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, what we see is, we see that at the right time, God revealed that the Gentiles could also have salvation as well. Right? Pastor Scott has done an amazing job talking to us about that. But here in Ephesians chapter 3, what we see, this mystery of grace that's being revealed is this. They are not only able to be saved, but they are partakers of the promise. They are fellow heirs and members of the same body with the Jews. You know what that means? That means they not only can be a part of the family, they get some of the inheritance. Now listen, if my parents adopt you and want to bring you to my family, I'm okay with that. But you're not getting my inheritance. That's two totally different things. You can have my last name. People can call you Boudin and Baudouin anyway. Baudouin. You can have my last name, but you're not getting my inheritance. But what we see here in scripture is now the Gentiles don't only get the name of believer or Christian, they also share in the inheritance of the saints. That's a big deal. Verse seven of the gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, 
It's interesting because here Paul calls himself the least of all the saints. You may remember in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he called himself the chief of all sinners. So here he says he's the least of the saints, but in Timothy he says he's the chief of all sinners. Now, let, let me just give you the David Bodwan commentary on this. Pastor Scott can come back next week and correct me. But I'm right. So, and I'm here. So, Paul, the apostle, after coming to Christ, was not the chief of all sinners. God would not have used the chief of all sinners to write two-thirds of the New Testament. This is what I believe, is that the closer we get to God, the more we understand the, the vastness of our sin, right? When we're away from God, we sin, and we, it's no big deal to us. We don't think about consequence. We don't think about any... But the, when we're close to God, all of a sudden, a little sin becomes really big to us, right? Because we're mindful. We've spent time in his word. We've spent time in prayer. We've spent time in his presence and with other believers. And all of a sudden, we're living our life on guard. And small things become big to us because the last thing we want to do is break the heart of God by our disobedience. And I think when Paul talks about being the least of the saints and the chief of all sinners, what he's saying is, in light of God and in light of my relationship with God, I am nothing. This is a picture of humility. God used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. God used him to bring, literally, liberty to the Gentiles. And here he's talking about how he is nothing. That's just in, 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 in relationship to who God is and how close he was to God. Some, somebody give me a Bible. Somebody's got to have a Bible in this church. I had one first service, but I don't know what happened to it. I still have it somewhere. Uh, this isn't in my notes, but Genesis chapter 6, verse 6 is an interesting passage of scripture because sometimes, so sometimes we sin with no thought of consequence. Genesis chapter six, verse six, God is literally surveying the fall of man, right? We were created without sin, but because of the choices of, of Adam and Eve, they chose and they took sin upon themselves and they brought sin into the world. So God is surveying his creation after sin, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, says this. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. Some of your translations will say the Lord repented that he had made man on the earth. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. It grieved him to his heart. That word grieve there and the word picture there, in the Hebrew, literally means to be so hurt that you're unable to breathe. When God looked at the sin of man, the Bible says it so affected him that he was unable to breathe. You, you know what that's like? You remember when you were a kid and you got a spanking? And you went in your room and you were like, <laughs> one day, you still have it 
repaid your dad for those whippings, right? One day, you, you couldn't breathe. You were so... We think of sin flippantly, and yet the Bible says that our sin affects God. And I think that's what Paul knew, that even something small, because of how he was connected to God, became really, really big to him. So he says to me, I, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let me just say this. We will never exhaust the riches of Christ. The more we know him, the greater his riches become. His love runs deeper than just the Jews, Jewish people in Israel. His grace goes wider than just the Jewish people of the Old Testament. No, it includes all of us. Verse nine, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities. That word manifold in Ephesians chapter three, verse, nine, verse 10 is the only place in scripture that word appears. And it means multicolored or diverse, meaning it's available to everyone. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter who your mama and your daddy are. It does, none of that matters because the grace of God is available to all of us just the same. Wisdom of God might be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you to not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. I want to talk to you for a few minutes on the thought of the mystery of grace. That word grace we use that word or a form of the word uh, grace quite a bit in our language. Many people say grace before a meal. We're grateful for someone's kindness. We say that they were gracious. We work at being gracious to people at a restaurant. We leave a gratuity. This word can also have a negative connotation, right? A politician or a minister can fall from grace. We may look at someone as a disgrace. But do we really understand what the word grace means? When Paul here talks about grace, he's talking about what God has done for us in and through Jesus Christ. Grace is God's love in action. You want to know what grace is? Just look what God did for us. Freely giving us his forgiveness, his acceptance, and his favor. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God to us. Grace and grace alone is and always will be the basis for our relationship with God. 
without this foundation of grace firmly in place, nothing else in the Christian life matters. I just want to walk you through five characteristics of God's grace today. Number one, grace is undeserved. Grace has nothing to do with merit or demerit, our sinfulness or our worthiness. Paul knew better than anybody else that grace comes to us undeserved. You, if you know the story of Paul, you know that Paul lived his life to persecute and kill Christians. He hated the message of the gospel. That's who he was. That's who everybody knew him to be. But one day on the road to Damascus, a great light appeared and Paul was knocked flat on his face and he was never the same after his first encounter with the grace of God. Paul is referred to in scripture as the apostle of grace. The word grace is used 155 times in the New Testament and 133 of those are in what we call the Pauline epistles or written by Paul in his letters to the churches. He introduces his letters with grace. He closes them with grace and grace is the theme of everything in between. I think Paul lived his life with the knowledge of who he was, of his encounter with Jesus and who he had become because of the grace of God. And I think he lived in awe of God's grace. Stop for a minute and think about who you used to be. Could people tell stories about y'all? Who you used to be before Jesus? Who you used to be before the grace of God? And then think about what God did to reach you. Some of you, if, you, if we heard your stories, we would be amazed at how you ended up, not at OSC, but in the family of God. What God did to reach you. Everything God moved in order to get to you. Think about who you were and what God did to reach you. Here's my question for every one of us in this room. Have we lost the awe of God's grace? Have we forgotten what God did? Are we still blown away that God's grace was and is bigger than our sin? Bigger than those terrible choices we would do anything we could to take back? Do we still live in awe of God's grace? Romans chapter 11, six, verse 6 says this, And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were grace, if it were, grace would no longer be grace. Listen, if we deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. The life of Jesus was marked by giving grace to people who didn't deserve it. What's interesting about the life of Jesus is that nowhere in the Bible do we ever see Jesus using the word grace. That's surprising to me. Yet John, when John got ready to describe Jesus, this is what John said in John chapter 1. He said, the word, meaning Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Listen, 
Jesus may not have used the word grace, but Jesus lived grace before the people that he came to serve. The entire life of Jesus was a demonstration of grace and truth. Because listen, when you think about Jesus's time here, you, he, he, he spoke some hard things because it wasn't just grace, it was grace and truth, right? Because sometimes we need to be gracious, sometimes we need to be honest, right? Daily, Jesus personified grace and love and mercy and free salvation to people who, if anything, really deserve punishment, just like you and I. Let's not just talk about grace. Let's live grace. The whole idea of God loving sinners, when you think about it, is really unheard of in any other religion. The whole idea of God wiping out our sin and allowing us in his presence is unheard of. Religion says you need to be good. You need to straighten up your life. You need to clean up your act. And then you can come to God. Then you'll be pleasing to God and then he will love you. But the message of Christ, the good news is that there is nothing we can do to make God love us more and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. There's nothing you can do. Grace is God's undeserved, unmerited favor. Let me say this. God wasn't obligated to give us grace and we're not entitled to receive his grace because we live in a really entitled culture, don't we? God wasn't obligated and we're not entitled to it, but he gave his grace freely. So grace, grace is undeserved. Secondly, grace is unnatural. Grace is unnatural. So I want you to think about this. As we talk about grace, don't only think about grace from God to us. That's why, that's why I don't preach on the floor because I spit too much when I preach, just so y'all know. <laughs> y'all would be, you know. So don't just think about God, grace from God to us. Think about grace that God expects us to extend to one another, Right? So don't just think on spiritual terms. Think on practical and relational terms as well. So grace is unnatural. One of the most unnatural, difficult things to do is to try and show grace to somebody who we think deserves punishment. It's really kind of a contradiction because while grace is the most needed thing in the world, it's also the hardest thing to find. If you're on social media, you know people are mean. They're just mean, right? And there's some Christians out there participating in the meanness, if that's a word. When we could be gracious, we're being mean to one another in, as a culture. Someone wrote, despite a hundred sermons on forgiveness, we do not forgive easily, nor believe ourselves to be easily forgiven. Forgiveness, we discover, is always harder than the sermons make it out to be. 
Sometimes to forgive is one of the hardest things you can ask a person to do. To forgive someone is very difficult, but can I just tell you, the alternatives to forgiveness are even harder. There are three alternatives to grace and forgiveness. When you refuse to, re- to extend grace and forgiveness to people, there are three alternatives. The first one is revenge. The law of revenge states for every atrocity, there must be an equal and opposite atrocity. In other words, vengeance is the passion to get even. It's, desire to, it's, it's the desire to give back as much pain as someone gave you. The problem with revenge is revenge never gets what it, want, gets what it wants and it never evens the score. And if you're going to break the cycle of vengeance, you have to take initiative. You have to defy the natural law of revenge and fairness by choosing to forgive the one who has wounded you. Forgiveness, when you think about it, is really an act of faith. When I forgive somebody, I'm trusting that God is better at bringing justice than I am. Think about that. When I forgive someone, I'm trusting that God is better at bringing justice than I am. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. When I choose to forgive, I release my right to get even and I trust God with my offense. The second alternative to forgiveness, the first one is revenge. The second one is a root of bitterness. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. This tells us to be very careful that we don't ignore grace because the consequences are disastrous. Can I just tell you, the consequences can literally be generational. It can literally carry on from generation to generation. If I refuse to forgive, I choose to be a bearer of bitterness, and it will surface in all kinds of destructive ways. It's interesting because the Bible talks about bitterness, but the Bible also talks about a root of bitterness. I'm just telling you, search your heart. And then number three, the third alternative is resentment. The word resentment actually means to feel again. When we refuse to forgive, resentment begins to cling to the past and we're doomed to relive what that person did to us over and over and over. Listen, when I refuse to forgive, I end up imprisoning myself in the past. I'm the one that loses, not them. The only thing harder than forgiveness is unforgiveness. There's a passage of scripture in the book of Proverbs and it says this. It says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It makes no sense that a child who grows up being abused would grow up and become an abuser to their own children. But the statistics tell us that that is a very big reality. Because listen, when you've been wounded, you either forgive and release or you hold on to it and you rehearse it. 
You rehearse your wound. You rehearse your hurt. You rehearse what they did to you. And when you spend your time rehearsing, the Bible says, as you think in your heart, so is he, so, so are you. So as you rehearse it, you tend to repeat it. And can I just tell you, it is a trick of the enemy to make you think you're making them pay simply by living in bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment. It is a lie of the, is a lie of the devil to keep you bound and to keep you from everything God has for you. Right. Amen. So grace is undeserved. Grace is unnatural. And the truth is grace is unfair. Grace is really an unfair concept when you think about it. It flies in the face of true justice. And let's be honest, we all want justice. It's totally unreasonable to expect a woman to forgive, to forgive the terrible things her father did to her just because he apologizes years later. It's totally unfair to ask a parent to forgive the drunken driver who killed their child in the prime of their life. Behind every wound is a feeling of betrayal and the pain of being hurt doesn't go away very easily. Think about Joseph in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 42 through 45. Think about Joseph who was sold into slavery by his own brothers, who was just one after another. He, he just went through hurt after hurt after hurt, disappointment after disappointment, betrayal after betrayal. But listen, because he chose to keep his focus on God instead of on them, God literally exalted him at every turn. God gave him divine favor. Can I just tell you, if, if Joseph's eyes were on the, the, the sin of his brothers, he would have never gotten to the place he did. But because his eyes were on God and he let God deal with his enemies, God knew that he could be trusted and God exalted him to number two in that nation. Grace isn't fair. But then again, grace isn't about fairness. If it was, none of us could receive grace. Romans chapter five, verse seven, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. You know what he's saying? That God provided a savior before we knew we needed a savior. Paul's saying what's impossible to understand is how a person could die for someone, listen to this, who has absolutely no worth to him or to her whatsoever. Let me ask you a question. What do you bring to the table that makes sense of the crucifixion? Because I bring nothing. What's in you that you would go, yeah, I was worth, yeah, yeah I, when I think about me, what do you bring that makes sense of the crucifixion? Nothing. Jesus did it because he desired to extend grace to us so that he could have relationship with us. That's what Jesus did. Grace isn't fair, but aren't you glad that God demonstrated grace, not justice? I am. So why do we demand justice? If God extended grace to us, why do we demand justice from one another? When we refuse to forgive someone because it's not fair, 
We're in effect determining that they are unworthy of God's forgiveness. And the minute we do that, we condemn ourselves because we don't deserve it either. Matthew 6, 15, but if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins either. Grace may be unfair, but it's the only way to stop the cycle of revenge and bitterness and resentment. Number four, grace cannot be earned. Grace cannot be earned. A lot of people start out believing that they are saved by grace, but then over time begin to fall into the trap of thinking, if I expect to continue to receive God's grace and love, then I've got to perform for it. They turn God's grace into something that is performance-based instead of freely given. It's so easy to slip into the habit of taking the very channels of grace, prayer, Bible reading, witnessing, serving, and turn them into Christian works of performance. And so slowly, listen to this, and so slowly over time, the converts of one decade become the Pharisees of the next. That, that at one time, we celebrated salvation, but if we don't extend grace, we begin to judge others in another season. We begin to become Pharisaical, and we begin to be the, the, the righteous police by pointing out everybody else. Listen, leave it to God. Leave it to God. Maybe you're here and you're like, well, I thought we were supposed to do good works as Christians. Well, we are, but we don't do those things to earn God's grace or somehow earn his approval. We do what we do as Christians, not in order to win his love, but out of gratitude for his love. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are saved for good works, not by good works. Works are the fruit of our salvation. That in light of what God's done for me, I want to begin to do for him. I read a book. I looked for it this morning to share the title with you, but I couldn't find it. I don't even remember the title. Um, but it was a book about a man who, was, who grew up Catholic. And he wasn't just a Catholic. He was a good Catholic, right? Because you know the difference. <laughs> y'all know the difference. Some of you Catholic, y'all know the difference. Some of y'all, the priest is still waiting in the confessional for y'all. <laughs> he was a good Catholic. And then one day in his early 40s, somebody invited him to a Baptist men's retreat. And he went to this men's retreat and he saw something he had never seen before. The worship was amazing. He was blown away by the worship. To see all these men worshiping God. And then the speaker at the event preached that we're not saved by works. The book of James. And he preached that we're not saved by works. And he was blown away because his whole life, his whole relationship to God was based on works. And he gave his heart to Christ and he left Catholicism and he became a Baptist. And about a year in, he began to hear people say, I don't know, I mean, I, 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 no matter how much I read of the Bible, I, I'm not reading enough. 
And I pray, but I don't think I, don't think I pray enough. And, and, and then the pastor would get up and, and fuss at people for not coming to church enough. And, and he said, I realized these people were just stuck in works. Even though it looked different than what I came out of, it was still works. And if we're not careful, we can sit here and celebrate our freedom, but think it's all about what we bring to the table versus God's grace. Does that make sense? Number five, God, uh, grace is unconditional. Grace is unconditional. What that means is that his love doesn't depend on what we are, but on who he is. First John chapter four says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Listen, God loves because he is love. Now we can refuse God's love, right? You can choose to refuse God's love, but that doesn't change his love for you, right? You remember when your teenager was rebellious and they looked at you and said, I hate you. I never said it to my daddy. I wouldn't be here today. (laughs) Trust me. Y'all can come visit my grave. But when your child says it, it doesn't change your love for them, right? We can refuse God's love, but he still loves us. God never says, I love you because. He never says, I love you since, or I will love you if, or I will love you when. Adding any of those phrases in front of God's love makes it conditional, and God's love is unconditional. It's hard for us to even imagine a love without strings attached because that's the kind of love that we operate with each other. Let's be honest, right? If you bake me a cake, I'm really going to love you. But don't give it to me in front of my wife because she won't let me eat it. Right? Like, I really love you when you do something good for me, right? I mean, I really love you when you, because that's just human nature. Don't think on human terms about a supernatural God because there's no strings attached with God. A lot of people say, well, I I, I got saved, but then I messed up. Will God still love me? Listen, what we need to remember is this. We've all failed. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God has already examined us and we flunked the test of worthiness. Whether we were moral do-gooders who kept all the commandments like the Jews or just all out sinners who broke them all, it makes no difference. God in his love has provided a new basis for a right relationship with him. It is free, it is undeserved, it is unmerited and it is unrepayable favor. That is God's grace. But now a righteousness in Romans chapter three, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Listen, Christ took our shame Christ took our sin. 
He took our worst mistakes that we wish we could take back and he paid the price so we don't have to. What's so amazing about grace is this. We messed up, but the king paid the price for it. We messed up, but our savior paid for our mess up. Because in in Christianity, grace costs nothing for us, the recipients, but it costs everything for the giver. Today, I want to talk to two different groups of people here. As we wrap up, I want to talk first to people who need to extend some grace. And then I want to talk to people who've never said yes to the grace that God has for us. Would you bow your heads? Would you bow your heads? Just close your eyes. I want to ask you a question. If you're here today, And as I was talking about forgiveness and I was talking about extending grace to people and forgiveness to people, somebody came to your mind. You thought of someone that you're holding and you have an offense with or somebody that you're bitter toward or or you're, you're resentful toward. Can I just tell you that might not have just been you, that might've been the Holy Spirit just bringing someone into your heart because he wants you to be free from that. I just want to ask this quick question. If you're here today and you would say, I know there is someone in in my life or someone in my past that I need to forgive and I really need God's help with it. I just want you to raise your hand right where you are. Yep. You can put your hands back down. I want to pray for us. Don't leave. I want to, we have one last thing to do. Father, Lord, we thank you for the cross. God, we thank you for the debt that you paid or the, the, the price you paid for our debt and for our sin. And God, it seems like it'd be so easy for us to forgive one another, but the truth is it's not. And I think when we think about it, we, talk, we think about your perfection and our imperfection, and it just makes more sense that it's harder for us. But God, whether we can make sense of it or not has nothing to do with the fact that you said, forgive as you have been forgiven. Lord, you said to whom much is given, much is required. And Lord, the worst thing is you said that if we don't forgive others, you won't forgive us. Lord, today I just pray, give us grace to forgive. Lord, give us grace to release. God, the enemy wants to keep us bound in hatred and revenge and bitterness. God, I pray that we wouldn't let him win, that grace would win out, that forgiveness would win out, and that we would know the freedom that comes through letting that go. God, help us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to say this about what we just prayed. I think sometimes when we think about releasing someone or forgiving, it becomes really, really, it becomes hard for us. We think about facing them. We think about, can I just tell you, 
it literally could be as easy as you shooting a text to that person today going, hey, just want you to know, I, I prayed for you today. Literally, that's building a bridge. That's literally the first step to building a bridge. And they're going to go, what? But it's going to open something in their heart. And then just wait a few weeks and shoot them another text. I don't know. You figure it out. <laughs> I'm just telling you, don't let the thought of it being hard and difficult. And don't let that stop you from taking a step toward forgiveness. All right, bow your heads again. You're here today and you've never accepted God's grace for your life in the way of salvation. Listen, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But because of that, Christ died on the cross and God made provision for us so that we could walk in relationship with him. If you're here today and you say, I know that I need to say yes to God. I know that I need salvation today. I know that I'm lost and I need God in my life. Let me just say, religion makes it very difficult to get to God. Religion says you got to jump through some hoops. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He made it easy because he wants a relationship with you. He's already done the hard work. If you're here today, and you want to give your heart to Christ, you want to say yes to the grace of God, I'm going to ask you when I count to three to just lift your hand. Listen, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to stand. I just want, a, I want to pray a prayer with you before we close today. You ready? One, two, three. You want to say yes to Jesus? Just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Put your hands right back down. Hey, I'm going to pray a prayer with you. And I'm going to ask you to just repeat this prayer after me. And I want everyone to repeat with in support of these that raise their hands today. I want you to let this come from your heart. There's no magic in this prayer. I'm just helping you to articulate what God's doing in your heart. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt. <clears throat> and you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. <clears throat> Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all of my heart. No matter what it costs me, I declare that God is my Father, Jesus is my Lord, the Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.